Thanks, Ben. That was, that was great. Although Peter did break a string first service, so what does that mean? I don't know what that means. Awesome lyrics, though. That was really great. Thanks, band. Uh, good morning again. Welcome to Hiawatha Church. My name is Spencer. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, like many have said before, we're glad that you are here uh, this morning. A few weeks ago, Pastor Chris and I go to our uh, every year, uh, probably in the coldest week of January, we go up to uh, Trout Lake Camp, which is our denomination's camp. They have a thing uh, for pastors called Pastor Study Break. We get about four days up there to, to study and to pray and to rest and to vision and, and to just get away from here and get a focus on some things we don't often have a chance to, to spend. Uh, so it's a really great time of connecting with other pastors and church planners. Great chance uh, to rest as well as to just get some really good study done. Um, and this year, for the very first time, I got my very first migraine. And uh, just so you guys know, Chris, uh, Pastor Chris is not making it up. Migraines are bad. Guys, they are really bad. He's not lying. Uh, you're pretty much lying there in unthinkable pain with a bunch of other symptoms, with no hope of healing, just realizing your fragility and weakness, unable to do anything to save yourself. So I laid there for like six hours, pleading with Jesus to heal me, literally. That's how, <laughs> that's how bad it is. Chris is so tough. Uh, being reminded of my sin and my spiritual state apart from Christ as I suffered this incredible pain and helplessness. Uh, and I deeply longed for Jesus to return, to just uh, put me out of misery and to uh, be back. I was praying for that. Uh, and even if that's not your case, even if you've never struggled uh, with migraines, uh, you probably have had some type of great pain or illness or disease or sickness, something that you battled throughout your life or maybe just, just uh, battling right now, maybe some type of uh, thing that just won't heal, that's been lingering forever and ever, maybe diabetes or asthma or clinical anxiety or depression. And even if you're one of the few in this room that maybe is incredibly healthy, and uh, full of vitality and energy, uh, both physically and mentally. I'm sure you still had loved ones who have suffered with some type of illness or disease or have fought through uh, just living life in daily pain. So sin and the effect of sin, things like uh, disease and illness and sickness and pain and spiritual oppression— affect all of us, whether directly right now or, or indirectly, they've been in our past or will be in our future, or we just have many loved ones who, on a regular basis, this is their reality and something they deal with. So what would happen if you heard that there were some pastors in our city that were actually healing people, like, like literally healing people, like praying for people and cancer was just gone, diabetes was just gone, clinical depression was gone, legs grew back, things like that. What, what would you do? Would you be skeptical? Would you be hopeful? Would you kind of check it out online first or ask people you know if they've actually heard about something like this or seen it before? Would you go with uh, hope that it actually was true? And that's essentially what's going on in our passage today. There's people uh, throughout the city of Jerusalem that are hearing that the followers of this Jewish rabbi named Jesus are in the temple, and they're doing unthinkable, amazing signs and wonders. They're doing miraculous works and healings that look just like Jesus and what he was doing when he was alive. 
And crowds and crowds of people flock to them to see this. Right now, we're in a sermon series in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is, is uh, we, we're subtitling our series, The Church is Born. And so Acts is the narrative or the historical theology of what has happened after Jesus has uh, died and, and risen and is now reigning in heaven with uh, God the Father. And so uh, Jesus sends his spirit into his church, into his disciples, the 12 disciples now called apostles, um, and the church is born. And the gospel is preached all over. Tons of people are repenting and believing. The church is growing. There's persecution. There's miracles happening and things like that. And, and that's kind of where we pick up the story. And Acts is actually written by a guy named Luke. And if you're here at the beginning of our service, or series, we uh, begin to introduce you to this guy named Luke. So Luke, uh, his job was he was a physician. He was a doctor. He was a man of science, a man of logic, a man of reason, who initially was probably a skeptic. Initially, it was like, hey, uh, wine just doesn't, or water just doesn't turn to wine, and people don't walk on the water, and lepers don't just get healed. And so as he's hearing stories about this Jesus guy who's doing all these miracles, being a man of, of logic and reason, as well as just a physician by trade, he probably would have been a skeptic. But he records what happens, and we see that in the book of Luke. He also wrote the Gospel of Luke, which is kind of part one of a, a two-part series, Acts is part two. And Luke records what, uh, what happens. And we're going to read the story of what he investigated and found out in our passage today. And we're going to see that he not only saw that these miracles, these signs and wonders, were actually legit, but they were so much more than just physical healings. So today, our sermon is entitled Real and Eternal Healing. And we're going to look at Acts Chapter 5, verses uh, 12 through 16. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there or find it on your phone. Also, uh, it's in your worship folder, that uh, handout. It's printed in there. And all of it will be on the screen for you. So if you want to follow along, we're going to start in verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So in our passage today, we see... That the apostles, so again, just think that the, the 12 disciples of Jesus that are now the, the first leaders, the first pastors of the church, we're going to see them throughout the book of Acts, but uh, we're going to see the apostles start in our passage today by doing these miraculous signs and wonders. And we see later on in the passage that signs and wonders in verse 12 is, is more described a little bit later on. These signs and wonders essentially are miraculously healing those who are sick and those who are afflicted by unclean spirits. And when you see that phrase, now many signs and wonders, for some of us, we probably remembered, hey, we just heard that phrase a couple weeks ago. So just uh, the chapter before this, and uh, Jesse Splann preached on this, about the, the church and the apostles, they prayed to God as they're now starting to receive persecution. They prayed, and if you were here for that Sunday, you maybe thought, 
It's kind of a strange prayer. So if people are persecuting the church, if they're persecuting the apostles, you would think their prayer would be something like, God, protect us. God, may evil stop winning and may the righteous be protected. May justice be done. Help us. And even though they probably prayed some of that and those would not be the wrong prayers, what we saw back back in uh, Acts 4, we saw this prayer. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So the first thing they pray is, is not for protection, but that in persecution, they would continue to preach the gospel. They would continue to share that this Jesus is alive, that he really is the king and the savior and the God that he said he was. And help us, God, to speak that with boldness in the face of persecution. And they continue. After asking for boldness from the Spirit, they ask, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So God, while you give us boldness to preach the gospel, will you also, or they're actually just saying it's going to happen, you are going to stretch out your hand and you're going to confirm what we're saying is true by through the name of Jesus, people are going to be healed. Signs and wonders are going to be performed. And so right at the beginning of our passage, we see God answering this prayer that was prayed just a chapter before. And remember, too, this great connection between miracles and preaching the gospel. Miracles are giving credibility to this message that is being done. We're seeing a picture, a demonstration through a miracle, through a healing, through a sign and wonder of the words that we're saying when the apostles are, are sharing of spiritual healing being a possibility and reconciliation to God happening. All right, our, our passage continues. Verse 13 says, None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. So the apostles, they're in the temple. So this place, Solomon's portico, it's a part of the temple. So the 12 apostles are in Solomon's portico healing people. But then the next verse says, none of the rest dared join them, dared join the apostles. But the people held the apostles in high esteem. So commentators disagree or aren't quite sure who the rest are that is being spoken of here. None of the rest dared, dared join the apostles. Could the rest be? Some people think the rest are just people who are not apostles, so i.e. just people who aren't Christians. So other Jewish people or Romish, Roman people who have not trusted in Christ. And the reason that people who aren't Christians are not joining, uh, sorry, I jumped down to the second one. We'll go back to the first one. The reason that non-Christians are not coming to Solomon's portico and, and being around the apostles as they heal people is because they have fear. And if you were here last week, what happens right before this week's passage is that there were pretenders in the church. There, was, there were people who jumped on the bandwagon of Jesus' way, jumped on the bandwagon of the, the new church because they saw, hey, if I kind of hang around these people or if I like, am a part of what's going on here, there's a shot for me to get some pretty great power, some gr pretty great prestige. I can look and be very important. And so we saw these two characters Ananias and Sapphira lie to God and uh, try to look powerful and prestigious and important when, uh, in fact, they weren't. And God judged them, and, and they died. And so I'm not going to talk more about that. You can listen to last week's sermon uh, if, if um, that, that interests you and you didn't hear it. So there might be just some fear around non-Christians saying, okay, 
I really think what's going on is great. I'm glad my fellow Jews are getting healed and, and miracles are happening, but I'm not, I'm not going near there because I know I don't believe in this Jesus guy, and I know what happened to Ananias and Sapphira, and I'm not going to be a wolf. I'm not going to be a pretender. I'm not going to try to sneak in. So that's who the rest could be, or other people think the, the rest are just uh, other Christians who aren't the apostles. So all the other Christians in the church besides the 12, and the reason that Christians would not want to go with the disciples to Solomon's portico while the healings are being done is because they're just afraid of persecution. So just as the apostles have been persecuted, uh, the rest of the Christians are like, that's great, keep doing it, we'll pray for you, but we're going to be over here because we know in the next passage, you guys are going to get arrested and beatings are going to happen, bad stuff. So uh, good luck, go take one for the team apostles. So those are kind of the two ideas of, of, of what's going on there in verse 12. But regardless of, which, of who the rest are, uh, everyone is seeing these great and miraculous signs and wonders and healings uh, of countless people being done. So that's happening, and the apostles are being held in high esteem. And so what was the result? So all this is happening. Jerusalem's going crazy. The apostles are being held in high esteem. Countless people are being healed. Everyone knows about it. And what's the result of all this? The next verse tells us, verse 14, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So what was the result of signs and wonders? What was the result of miracles and miraculous healings? Countless true conversions happening. More and more and more and more people are believing in Jesus, and the church is growing little aside here, definitely an aside, but uh, notice too how Luke intentionally makes it clear that both men and women are coming to Christ. That both men and women are being added to the church. So unlike and in, in, uh, in contrast to ancient Jewish culture and Roman culture that didn't value women in, in many different ways, in the early church, and we he, here we see Luke doing it as well, women are valued. They're counted. It's not just, hey, this many men were saved, but it's Luke's intentional say, and women. We value women. They're counted. They're significant. So here Luke chose to say men and women intentionally to remind the reader of just this kingdom value here in uh, the early church. Let that encourage you today, both men and women alike, but especially women, that just like we see here at uh, this verse in Acts 5, you're wanted by God. You're chosen by God. You're seen by him. And, he, and if you are a Christian today, you are part of, a, part of his church, and he wants you. Let that be an encouragement to you today. Okay, b- back to our passage. So because of the healings that are being done, the, the regularity, the, the apostles continue to do this every single day, and the esteem that the whole city is now having for these 12 guys, this healing ministry grows and grows and grows. And our passage ends with this today. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. So now it's like bursting out of the temple. It's no longer in Solomon's portico. It's even on the streets. There's some disagreement here whether or not the shadow of Peter actually is healing people. And if it is, that's great. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. Some people think that's just... um, what people believed. There's like uh, ancient Roman and uh, beliefs that shadows can actually heal people. So whether Acts is just saying, or whether Luke is just saying here, hey, it, uh, 
was happening or the people just were bringing people out into the streets because they thought it would happen. Regardless, uh, people are being healed. And then verse 16, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing up the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So what we're seeing at the end of our passage today, we're beginning to see the gospel spread now throughout and beyond Jerusalem. So if you remember at the very beginning of Acts, and if you have, if this is your first Sunday, this is a great kind of summary statement or a prophecy that Jesus made at the very beginning of Acts, right before he left to be with the Father. Jesus says to his disciples, he says to the church, but you, church, you disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We've already seen this. Chapters and chapters, the Holy Spirit empowering his people and, and great things happening. And Jesus continues, he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So even in chapter 5, Acts goes for 20 plus chapters, even in chapter 5, we're already seeing this happen. We're already seeing the Holy Spirit empower the church, and the gospel is spreading already beyond Jerusalem. And this is without the apostles or the church even leaving Jerusalem. This is just people from the neighboring towns coming in and and seeing and hearing what God is doing. So in our passage today, we're beginning to see Jesus' kingdom break into this world. In the name of King Jesus, the effects of the curse, or the effects of sin, the symptoms and results of humanity's rebellion against God are being removed in the name of, the, in, in the name of King Jesus. We're seeing glimpses of the new heaven and the new earth. People who are sick being healed, Miracles happening, God being worshipped. And we're seeing the restored and redeemed creation that awaits all of those who are in Christ. As we're reading today's passage, some of you maybe thought, this sounds a lot like Jesus. And not just like, oh, the church is helping people and Jesus helped people. But like, literally, this passage, I thought it was like not in Acts, but like in a different book of the Bible about Jesus. And that is very close to being true. So one of the very first things Jesus does is something almost exactly like this. And we're supposed to note that as, as Christians and as readers, we're supposed to say the church looks just like Jesus. We're supposed to re be reminded of Jesus did something just like this, and now through his spirit, through his church, through his body, Jesus, or the church is now doing stuff that looks just like Jesus. So in Matthew, Matthew is another one of Jesus' disciples. He wrote an eyewitness account of, of Jesus and his ministry as well. So back in Matthew, this is one of the first things that Jesus does in his ministry. And notice the incredible similarities to our passage today. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him, all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and uh, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So the church, just like Jesus, which Jesus calls the church's body, is empowered by the Spirit and looks just like him. Does the same things that Jesus did in his ministry. In these miracles and healings, in Jesus' ministry, and now what we saw in Acts, through Jesus' body, the same miracles and the same healings, we see 
that Jesus is not just a God who's distant, not just a God who's, who's in heaven looking down on us saying, well, you guys are kind of getting what you deserve. Or, well, I loved you, I created you, but you guys continue to just rebel against me or, or whatever. We don't see that. But in Matthew 5 and in Acts, Matthew 4 and in Acts 5, we see Jesus' great, deep, tangible love and care for humanity. He cares about you. He cares about the people, the hurting, the sick, the oppressed in this passage. He's compassionate. And he's not just caring and compassionate, but weak and impotent and unable to do anything about our sickness or our oppression or our disease. But he's powerful in it. And he can empathize in your pain. So Jesus wasn't just sympathetic and didn't just kind of love us vaguely, but he empathized. He entered into our brokenness. He became a man. He added humanity to his divinity. And he went into our our broken, sinful, diseased-filled world. And not only did he do that in his incarnation when he was born, but he did, and his life, understanding our diseases, our illnesses, our sickness, our brokenness, but especially in his death on the cross through his pain and torture and suffering and execution and oppression from demonic forces, just like we saw in our passage today. Jesus loves us deeply and chose to enter into our broken world. So notice this and remember this. As you're going through pain, as you're going through uh, disease, suffering, whatever it might be, the, the suffering, the, what you're feeling, tangibly make this connection. Jesus didn't have to go through this, whatever I'm feeling, whether it's you know, a migraine or cancer or depression, whatever it might be. Jesus didn't have to go through this, what I'm feeling right now, but he chose to. I would never choose this. I would run for, you know, the the aspirin or the counselor or the chemotherapy, whatever it might be. But Jesus chose to enter into this because he loves me and because he wanted to defeat it on my behalf, our behalf, and to heal us. But some of you might be thinking, and I was thinking this too as I was studying this, okay, I get that God, I get that Jesus is loving and compassionate, like that's, Kind of his MO, right? Jesus is love. We get that. And, and I also understand that uh, Jesus is king. Okay, I get that. He, he conquered the grave. He's now reigning in heaven as king of the universe, the resurrected uh, king. But why is there still sickness? Why is there still disease? Why is there still spiritual oppression? Why is there suffering going on? I'll just stop right there, even before we answer this question. The reality is we will go through suffering. You will go through suffering. The media tells you, no, you won't. Your, your hopes for your life and, and looking at your future might also be, uh, yeah, I'm not expecting to. I don't hope to, you know, get diabetes one day or to be in a car accident or to get crippling anxiety in my life. So our hopes don't say that. The American dream definitely tells us that you will not have suffering. If you just work hard and make good decisions, then life will be successful and, and, and it will flourish. But the reality is, unless Jesus comes back before then, we will suffer. You will suffer. And so we have to wrestle with these questions. We have to ask these questions. So another way to look at this, maybe 
is instead to say, how can God still use our lack of healing? So if God's not choosing to heal me right now, or my loved ones, or my brothers and sisters in Christ right now, how is God choosing, or how is God still going to use my lack of healing, my sickness, my disease, my spiritual oppression, how is he going to use that for good? And before we answer this question, the God that we worship, let me remind us of the God that we worship. He's not hindered by your sickness. He doesn't want to use you for, for powerful and kingdom type ways or to build up the church, but then you get the flu and he's like, oh no, great things were going to happen, but now you have the flu, so my hands are kind of tied. We worship a God that, that his plan is not thwarted even by demonic activity or demonic oppression or unclean spirits as we see in our passion or in our passage here today. God's love for us is not held back because of the curse. Our God is powerful and strong and, and can, not, uh, can not only these things, not only can these things not keep uh, his, his, his promises and his will from happening, but he also chooses to use these things for our good. So let's look at three ways that God does this. How our not being healed, and again in our passage, Tons of people were being healed. Miracles were happening. Signs and wonders were happening. So good things. We're glad that they happened. Let's, let's as a church, pray for these things and pray with boldness and confidence, knowing who, who Jesus is and knowing that he does want to heal us and he does love us. But that's not always going to happen. So when that doesn't happen, and let's still do that. Let's still pray and pray expectantly and, and, and knowing God's character. But when it doesn't happen, how does God still use that for our good? How does he bring good out of not being healed and miracles not happening? Three ways we see that in the Bible and in this passage. First is our perception of reality needs to change. We need to know that we are sick. We need to know that we are sick. Because who goes to a doctor? Who goes to a doctor? People who are sick. Jesus so Luke records this also back in, his, uh, in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, Jesus taught, or Jesus answered them. He said, those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus connects here being sick with being a sinner. And healing, he connects with repentance. It's a good thing for us to embrace the truth that we're sick. Jesus says, I want you to know I want to give you this bad news that's actually really good news, that you're sick, that you're spiritually sick, that you're spiritually diseased, so that, the reason it's good news is so that you realize you need a healer. You need the great healer. You need the great physician. You need Jesus who came into the world, not to save people that think that they're really healthy and young and, and full of energy and, and uh, unstoppable, but Jesus came into the world to heal people who are sick. He came to call people that realize that they need a doctor. So that's actually good news for us. Last week we saw that it's actually good news when we're reminded and confronted with, hey, we're sinners. This week we realized it's actually good news when we're reminded that we are sick. Because when we're reminded that we're sinners, it tells us that we need a Savior. When we're reminded by Jesus that we are sick spiritually, it reminds us and confronts us with the reality that we need a healer. We need a doctor, both of which 
point to Jesus, both of which tell us that we need Jesus to both to heal us and to save us. Tim Keller, writing about suffering in general, but, I mean, fill in the blank with anything we've been talking about, sickness, disease, spiritual oppression, etc. He writes, Suffering awakens us out of our haunted sleep of spiritual self-sufficiency into a serious search for the divine. That's great alliteration right there. Alliteration? Is that what it's saying? All the S's? Suffering awakens us out of our haunted sleep of spiritual self-sufficiency. Forces us to wake up and say, spiritually, you are not self-sufficient. You need your God. You need your creator. You need your king. And I know this anecdotally, and many of you probably do here too. When do we go to the doctor? We go to the doctor when we're sick. For like 10 plus years in my life, uh, throughout my 20s and into my 30s, I never went to the doctor. You know, I think like Mitch to the doctor. He's probably said, foolish, Spencer. Should get, should get your uh, physical. But I never went to the doctor because I didn't think that I was sick. Right? I thought I was, hey, I'm young, and I, I was naive, and I thought I'm indestructible. I have energy. I, I'm not that, I'm not that bad off. So when you're healthy, you have no need to see a doctor. And relatedly, when life is going great, when you are flourishing, when you're filled with, with energy and vitality and stuff is just going well in your life, especially around your health, it's hard to think about or even to remember that this life is a vapor or that there actually is a problem. When you're flourishing, how easy is it to forget that you need a healer? When you're flourishing, how easy is it to forget that you need a savior? So easy, right? We can all think of times when life's going really good and we just kind of forget about Jesus. But when we're homesick, when we're crippled by a migraine, when we're plagued by chronic pain that just won't go away, when our bodies continue to fail us and we're consumed with aches and pain and, and degeneration, we realize that there's a problem. We're forced to acknowledge that we need healing. We need help. We need something from outside of us. We need medicine. We need a doctor. We're confronted with a reality that this world, this life, these bodies are all cursed by sin, by the poison of sin that has poisoned all of God's good gifts, including our body. Physical sin, sorry, physical sickness, pain, and disease, they demand that we accept our finiteness. I made that word up this morning. Amy told me that's not a word, so we changed it here. They, they demand that we accept the fact that we are finite. They demand that we accept our helplessness to cure ourselves, and they demand our desperate need for a physician. But it's not just our perceptions that need to change. They do need to change. We need to constantly be reminded that we're, in si we're sick and in need of a healer. But it's also our longings need to change and our hopes need to change. So a second way that God uses our lack of healing, our sickness, our disease, our chronic pain, our anxiety, our spiritual oppression, the second way that God uses that kind of stuff for our good is through him giving us longings for Jesus' return. By giving us desires for resurrected bodies. For giving us hope, not in this life only, 
but in the life to come, the eternal life that we've been promised. The reality is that without sickness, I don't like this sentence as well, so maybe you'll hate it too, but the reality is, I wish it wasn't the case, the reality is that without sickness, disease, pain, and spiritual oppression, we're lulled into believing that life apart from God here in this earth is pretty good, and this is all we really want or need. So we're mostly talking about health here in our physical bodies, but even expand it, right? Like when your career is going really well, when your friends are super great, when your family is just wonderful, when you're on the sports team and you keep winning, when, when, when life and health go really, really well, how easy is it us to kind of just say, eh, Jesus, if you could kind of just wait until after the championship to come back or wait until after I get married or, or I, I kind of just, you know, this life is going really great right now. Right? I think we all can at least kind of feel like that's been in our past or maybe even that's our reality right now. But when sickness, disease, pain, and oppression from evil makes us, it, it makes us long for what we were truly designed for. The new heaven and the new earth. Resurrected bodies. The life living alongside our God in a diseaseless painless, perfected creation. Elise Fitzpatrick writes about this. She says, Perhaps one of the reasons why God chooses to leave us in this terribly broken world with its various disappointments, fill in some type of sickness that you're dealing with right now, is to create in our souls a certain dissatisfaction, an insatiable hunger for home, for the new heaven, for the new earth, for a perfect relationship with our Creator, and Savior, for resurrected bodies that were promised in Christ. So when we're physically afflicted, lying in bed, suffering in pain and sickness, we're called not to just long for the Excedrin, or the chemo, or the counseling session, or whatever might be the, the, the solution to our physical ailment. Still long for that, that's great. But as Christians, we're called to ultimately long for our hope in Christ, that one day we will be reunited with our resurrected King and Savior in our own resurrected bodies in this resurrected earth. So we see that God doesn't waste our lack of healing, doesn't waste our sickness, disease, and pain. But first, he uses it to remind us that we're sick and that we need a healer. Second, he uses it to change our hearts, our, our longings, our motives, our hopes into eternal future, uh, spiritual, great things. And the third way that God uses our sickness, our disease, our suffering is that he uses it to point to something so much greater. Back to our, our passage today, what the, the apostles were doing was great stuff. The, the, the whole city is freaking out because it's so great. They maybe hate these apostles, but they're held in high regard because uh, great things are happening. So we're not saying physical healing's bad. Don't, don't hear that at all. Let's continue to pray for physical healing. But the point of physical healing is actually to point to something even greater than that. Right? Because if physical healing is the end goal, the only end goal, then why did all these people that were healed in Acts 5 still end up dying someday? Or if physical healing was the, the ultimate thing, why did all the disciples, these apostles, why did they all get murdered? They were all martyred. They were all killed for their faith. 
If, if physical healing was the ultimate, then why, like, as Peter's getting his head chopped off, why, like, when it's, like, halfway through, doesn't another apostle come just, like, and heal him, you know? Because there must be something more than just physical healing. Even though it's incredibly great, it points to a spiritual reality that's even greater. It points to Jesus' kingdom that's, that's at hand, Jesus says again and again as he's here teaching in the world, and that's breaking into the world right now. We're seeing glimpses of it, pictures of it, but it hasn't fully come yet. The physical healing points to the spiritual. Spiritual healing from both disease and demonic oppression. And we saw this back earlier in the book of Acts. We see the physical pointing to the spiritual. We see, actually this happened a bunch and we'll continue to see it again. If you remember, Peter goes to the temple, he sees a lame guy, he heals him, really great thing, and then he uses that healing then to preach a sermon. And tons of people come to Christ. The whole, everyone who's watching sees Peter do something that's like Jesus. It gives Peter credibility in what he's saying and, and gives the people a picture of that's who I was. I was that lame beggar. But now in Christ, I actually can be healed. So we see this happen again and again in Acts. We'll see, we will continue to see it happen uh, throughout the whole book of Acts. Physical healings point to something even greater than that. Another support to this idea, just from the story, why physical healings can't be what this is really about. Again, super important, but not the main thing. Kind of stealing some of Chris's material for next week, so he's not in this room. I don't have to apologize this time. Uh, But spoiler alert, guess what happens? The religious rulers don't come to the apostles and say, hey, thanks for healing our fellow Jewish people. We're, we're supposed to be caring for them, and we're really glad that they're not oppressed by demons and they don't have diseases and leprosy and, and blindness. That's actually not what happens. So next week, what's going to happen, kind of give you a little uh, preview of that, is immediately the religious rulers throw a tantrum filled with jealousy and put the apostles in prison. So we have to ask the question, why are they imprisoning and we're going to see even later, more spoiler alerts, even killing miracle workers. If all it is is just about physical miracles, physical healings, why is this happening? Or why will this continue to happen? And the reason is, these religious rulers, they know that it isn't just about healing people physically. It's more than that. The main thing that the Spirit is doing through the apostles isn't just casting out some demons in healing some afflicted people, the religious rulers know that the physical healings are pointing to something else. They're pointing to Jesus. Jesus as king. Jesus as the fulfillment of the temple. Jesus as the fulfillment of the sacrificial system and the end to their rule, the end to their importance. There's a new king, and his kingdom is breaking into the world. And the power and the reign of these religious rulers through the law, is over. And they know it is. And so it's not just about physical healings that's making them so angry, but rather what it points to. If we go back to our passage today, we ask the question, what was the greatest sign and wonder in these four verses? Or if we ask ourselves, what was the greatest miracle? It actually isn't these physical miracles. But the greatest thing that's happening 
was in verse 14. Real and spiritual and eternal healing is happening. Something even better than physical healing. Something that has eternal, not temporal, significance. Verse 14, the greatest miracle that's happening, the greatest sign and wonder in this passage, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. The gospel that is being demonstrated by the apostles through their signs and wonders is a picture of the gospel that they're preaching. The good news that, he- that healing is promised to those who trust in Jesus. Now, we aren't promised physical healing, but we are guaranteed spiritual and eternal healing. So this goes contrary to what you maybe think is true about God. There's definitely uh, false teachers out there that have TV programs late at night and have huge churches that are telling people, because you are a child of God, you will be healed. You'll be wealthy. You will be healthy. If you just have enough faith, or if you send us $10,000, you'll especially be healed. But that's not what Jesus promises. We are promised healing. That, that much is true. But we are promised spiritual and eternal healing. So we pray for physical healing right now. And just know that pastors, elders here at Hiawatha, we want to be praying for you physically. We will lay hands on you if you want that. We will pray for you. If you shoot us an email, we, will, um, we, we believe in spiritual, or sorry, we believe in physical healing right now. And we, we want that to happen. But we're not all promised cures right now. But what we are promised is a spiritual and eternal cure, which is even greater news, right? You maybe have decades of, of, tif, uh, of tough, painful, suffering life, but you're promised an eternity of healing. And I know that does, it maybe seems like a really easy answer. It maybe seems like if you're in the midst of great uh, suffering and disease and, and, and pain, you might be thinking, well, that's a pretty lame answer. I want healing now. And we all get that, right? But we are promised healing, but it comes spiritually and eternally through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 speaks to the human condition apart from Christ. So listen who we are apart from Christ. Just in our, in our human nature. Ephesians 2, 1 through 4, or 1 and 4 through 5. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead. So twice, we're, we're, we're not just sick people. Okay, Jesus said we're sick. Now, Paul in Ephesians is saying, we're, we're even dead spiritually. It's even worse than just being a leper or being someone with a disease. So we were dead in our sins, but God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So that is what happens. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, you move from being spiritually dead into be spiritually alive, which comes with lots of other stuff. We're going to talk about it in, in just a second here. So what, what exactly is this greater spiritual healing? The Bible teaches, Jesus is teaching that there's something even greater than physical healing. So what is this spiritual, what is this eternal healing that we're promised through the gospel? What's this greater hope that the church uh, puts their hope in as they're getting persecuted and as people are dying? Our hope, though it isn't just in physical uh, healings alone, but also what accompanies it. 
And that is actual physical and eternal healing that all comes about in the new heaven and the new earth. So maybe a phrase you're not quite familiar with, but uh, the Bible speaks about what, what Christ is going to do when he comes back is he's going to restore this actual earth. So whether, we don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but it's called a, a new, and not brand new, but rather a, a restored, a renewed, a recreated, or a, a resurrected earth. And that's where humanity is going to live for eternity. Uh, second, or second Peter 1 talks about this. But according to his promise, according to Jesus' promise, we Christians are waiting for new heavens and a new earth. It describes what part of what this is going to look like in which righteousness dwells, holiness, thriving, goodness dwells, a new earth where sin, sickness, disease, pain, evil, and death don't rule anymore. Our hope in the gospel ends with God bringing his story, salva- his story of salvation full circle. So re- return to an Eden-like existence, if you know the story at the beginning of Genesis. We're returned to living in perfect sinless, resurrected physical bodies next to our resurrected Savior and King. And all of creation is remade, restored, and resurrected in what the Bible calls a a new heaven and a new earth. Randy Alcorn writes about this. He says, Jesus died to secure for us a resurrected life on a resurrected earth. So we're not just, our hope is not just one day our pain will go away because we cease to exist. That just poof, we're gone and the pain's finally gone. Nor is our hope as Christians that we'll just one day kind of be spirits or ghosts just kind of floating in this world or floating uh, on clouds playing harps or something like that. But rather the Christian hope is that these actual bodies, those actual bodies will be resurrected and restored and made perfect And we will live on a resurrected, restored, recreated, redeemed earth. The very end of the Bible describes what this is going to look like for us. Revelation 21, 1 through 4 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is our hope here. Listen to verse 4. Describe it. Our God, Jesus Christ, will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And it's not just a perfect, resurrected paradise, earth, that we get to live in for eternity that's promised to us, but it's also resurrected bodies, these actual bodies. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to a church just like us, a church that's experienced and seeing persecution and people having illness and disease and dying, and he gives, us this, gives them this encouragement, which is also for us. He says, look to Christ, but in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 
So Jesus and his resurrection, his resurrection into a, a perfected, resurrected physical body is the first fruits of what all Christians put our hopes in. What will we have to look forward to? And so just like the very first fruit on a, a strawberry plant tells you that it's not going to be apples or blueberries, blueberries growing on this plant, it's going to be more of the same fruit, we look to Jesus' resurrection as the first fruits, the first examples, the first example of what our resurrected, perfected, eternal, physical bodies are going to look like. So even if yours breaks down and betrays you over the next few decades, this is, what we, this is the promise that we have. Jesus promises, it, promises this to you if you are in Christ, if you have trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins. Just a few things for us to leave now, to leave with as we close. First is, and many of you know this, right? I'm not going to say something you'll be like, what, Jesus is like that? So almost everyone in this room knows this. But you need to remind yourself this. You need to tell your family members this, your roommates, your community group, especially as you all go through pain and suffering, especially as you get a new disease or get bad test results back from the doctor or as life just gets tougher and tougher. You need to know who Jesus Christ truly is. He is sympathetic. He is compassionate. He is loving. And he's also powerful. He's able to do something about it. He is a healing and a resurrecting God and Savior and King and Healer. Remind yourself of that again and again and again because you will forget it or you will be tempted not to believe it. And then out of that, out of knowing who Jesus is and then who you are because of him being your Savior and God, here's some tangible things for you to do. Some people are like, tell me what to do. Well, here's, here's a nice little list of practical things you can do. Let your sickness, your suffering, your illness, your disease, when it, when it comes, and it will, your depression, your anxiety, let it lead you to something. Make this connection. When you're lying in bed sick, when you are whatever, make this connection. The pain and suffering is hopeless apart from the gospel. But in the gospel, it can point to something great. It can remind you of your sin. It can remind you that you're not perfect, that you're in need of a doctor, and that will point you to Christ again and again and again. It will remind you that you need healing. Our world, over and over and over again, tells us that pain and suffering and illness and disease is the worst thing ever. We put all of our time, our money, our resources into running away from aging and from illness and from disease. We, put, you know, we do the, the latest diets. We put all of our money into gym memberships and, and supplements and uh, therapy, all good things, but we try as hard as we can to run away from sickness and aging and, and disease and pain. But in the gospel, things like that, God doesn't waste those. They actually can be used for good. Like the great theologian Kelly Clarkson has said, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. In the gospel, that actually can be true. In the world, that's, 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 that's silly. But in the gospel, that can be true. Going through a bout of cancer and coming through the end might make you the, the most mature, Jesus-loving person you've ever been. It might. Right? God can use horrible things to make us realize we're sinners and, and, and love Jesus even more. So, so make that connection. When you're sick, 
remember that this is a symptom of our sin. Humanity's rebellion against God and your need for a healer and a savior. Secondly, change your longings. Long for spiritual healing even more than what the doctor or the pill bottle or the counselor can give you. Those are good things. But long even more for spiritual healing. First Peter 1, written to a church, reminds them of what they have in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance. This is ours. If you're a Christian here today, how will the church believe this? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, that is kept for you in heaven. Long for that. Long for Jesus' return. Long for that spiritual healing. Philippians 3 reminds us one more time of our identity in Christ. It reminds us to long for Jesus' return in this new heaven, this new earth that are, that are promised us when, when he comes back. Speaking to a church again, Christians, but our citizenship is in heaven, with the new heaven and the new earth. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we are right now. We await our Savior to come back to fully usher in his kingdom, who will transform these lowly bodies to be like his glorious one by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you do not just give us trite little answers, that you do not just say, hey, man, suffering, that's really tough. Sorry you have to go through it. But you actually entered into humanity, entered into our suffering, not just to be sympathetic, though you were, but even to defeat it. And that you promise uh, physical, eternal, real healing through the gospel. God, help us to put our hope fully in that, even more than good things you give us to heal us uh, right now. God, help us to put our hope in uh, eternal life, not just this short life right now. God, we thank you for, for your goodness that we see expressed uh, through the church right now as, as uh, fellow Christians care for each other amidst disease and affliction and pain and depression and suffering. God, we thank you that even while we wait for eternity, you are good to us and we see the gospel, fruits of the gospel. We see your kingdom breaking into this world. We see the kingdom of God at hand. We pray for more of that. We pray for more physical healings, God, for the people in our church. And uh, even if you don't bring that every single time, we thank you that you promise us something we can rest in, we can trust in. You promise us spiritual eternal, eternal healing through the gospel. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we respond together with one last song.